a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, all righty, welcome to the show. It is time to engage in another exercise in wrong think. I got some great stuff to share with you this hour, too. Starting with a little bit of wisdom. This is from a friend. This is actually a guy I graduated high school with. Posted this on Facebook. Since it is the season, I thought I would pass along some of this hard-won wisdom. And it's simply this. If, you're, if your wife is mad at you, go hunting. Yeah, she'll still be mad at you, but at least you'll be hunting. But I'm bum. Hey. Anyway, thanks for thanks for joining us on the show today. Our uh, sponsors include Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, also Jeff Staples Real Estate, and the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I've got some kind words to say about all of them, which we'll get to shortly. So uh, something kind of cool happened just a little while ago, like, well, like an hour ago. Uh, the big brown truck stopped by my house and dropped off a case of these nifty mugs. Yeah, coffee mugs. And they have uh, they have my show logo on it. And I'm just kind of feeling good. This this is the first time I think I've ever had, you know, my image on something that wasn't, uh, you know, akin to a wanted poster. And so uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. I posted a picture on the Facebook page. So if you go to the Brian Hyde show Facebook page, you'll see a picture there. Um, I'm trying to come up with a way. I'm still working out the details. If this is something if it's the kind of swag that you might be interested in, I mean, you know. Hot beverage weather is upon us, and uh, maybe something like this would be handy. I'm going to see if we can come up with a way to uh, to economically make them available to my listeners through my website, thebrianheidshow.com. But it's a nice little bit of swag. And so i got to tip my hat to my friends at Design to Shine, who have uh, done a terrific job in, in pulling this together. Tip my hat to my daughter, Mason, for uh, for designing the logo. And I'm going to go ahead and tip my hat to you my fellow wrong thinker for being a part of my audience where to begin today you know the election is less than two weeks away i a friend just posted something on facebook that, that i thought really w- was great and in fact it was it's possibly one of the best things that i have uh, have seen in terms of someone explaining why they're going to vote and why they speak out and encourage people to vote. And, and it's very reasonable. There's no rant to it. He just simply said, look, I love our constitutional republic. I want to see it continue. And I'm not trying to make people angry. And I'm not trying to alienate anybody. And I'm glad that he did this. He just points out, if you have a family member or a friend who suddenly becomes, who suddenly flips and becomes a vocal Trump supporter or political activist, chances are they aren't racist or ignorant. More likely, they saw something that didn't add up, started to research it, and then started to unbury some things that were a lot deeper than Republican or Democrat, neither of which he claims to be. He says, when you start to see what's actually happening, you can't go back. If you claim that both are bad choices, he says, you haven't even started to dig. Now, I might differ with him a little bit on this one, but I'll explain that in a minute. He says, I hate politics, but I do love family values. I love my kids. I love my country. I choose God, and I love my friends who have fought to keep this nation a constitutional republic. He says, I value the fight against human trafficking and corruption, and I value the freedom this country offers. That's why I've been vocal. 
not to lose friends or make people angry. But if speaking the truth leads to that, then he says, I will continue to do so. Now, I share this with you just to point out, there are some very reasonable justifications for people to vote. And so I'm not trying to throw him or anybody else under the bus with what I'm about to share with you, because I'm going to share with you a commentary from James Bovard about uh, how democracy is graciously allowing us to choose your liar. Now, I often will refer to uh, to the annual elections or the semi-annual or or the uh, general elections every four years as as the reassurance ritual, the political reassurance ritual. Because for a lot of people, that's where they get that sense. Well, this is where we assert our control. We really run the government. The government is us. And I used to believe that myself. I, I don't any longer. I do believe that your vote can be an expression of conscience. And I would encourage you, put your conscience out there. But isn't it ironic that if your conscience doesn't jive with the choices that you are limited to, either this flavor, Republican or Democrat flavor, um, then the system is going to throw your vote out. It's considered illegitimate if you don't choose from, you know, the, the, the false dilemma of you can choose this or you can choose that, but nothing else. That's always troubled me. But I think James Bovard lays out the best defense of why people are right to be skeptical about uh, politics and about politicking. And this doesn't mean you shouldn't vote. It just means understand in the background, there is this dynamic that underlies all of the hoopla and all of the effort. I know the debate is going on tonight. I mean, does anybody honestly think this is going to sway anybody? Is there a friend asked this earlier on Facebook? Is there even one person left in this country still sitting on the fence going, hmm, gee, I don't know. Uh, huh, who, who should I vote for? I guess I'll watch the debate tonight and make up my mind. Doubtful. I mean, the campaigning started immediately after the 2016 election. It hasn't slowed down. But we go on with the charade. Here's what James Bovard says. He says, the final weeks of a presidential campaign is one of the best opportunities to view political perfidy in spectacular colors. While the media lectures Americans about their civic duty to vote to save the nation, the candidates continue conniving nonstop with no respect for the facts or decency. And he says, after the election is settled, the media and political establishment will announce the system worked and Americans must again respect and obey their rulers. Unless, of course, Trump is reelected. He says politicians have mandated warning labels for almost everything except voting booths. Federal agencies require full disclosure of risks for everything from mortgages to volunteering for medical experiments. People are entitled to far more information when testing baldness cures than when casting votes that could lead to war. He says hopefully Americans will not be as gullible after the election as many are before casting their ballot. Dishonesty is the distinguishing trait of the political class, going all the way back to ancient Athens and the satirical plays of Aristophanes. In 1799, Thomas Jefferson observed, whenever a man casts a longing eye on offices, a rottenness begins in his conduct. Wow. A successful politician is merely someone who bamboozled more voters than the other liar running for office. Political campaigns rely on deception because, as economist John Bernheim explained, Overwhelming pressures to lie, to pretend, to conceal are always present when the object to be sold is intangible and its properties unverifiable until long after the time when the decision to buy can be reversed. 
James Bovard says lying has long been part of president's job description. The names of Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon practically became synonyms for deceit. Former President George W. Bush is being rehabilitated by the media nowadays, but Bush made 232 false statements about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and another 28 false statements about Iraq's links to al-Qaeda, as the Center for Public Integrity reported. Bush's determination to dishonestly drag America into another Middle East war led to the deaths of more than 4,000 American troops and hundreds of thousands of Iraqi civilians. President Barack Obama received sainthood even before his election, and he retained his halo, even though he falsely promised dozens of times that people could keep their doctor after Obamacare's decrees took effect. Obama campaigned in 2008 on a peace platform and then bombed seven nations. Obama promised no more illegal wiretapping, but he unleashed the National Security Administration to target any American searching the web for suspicious stuff. The 2016 presidential race was a landmark. Never before had American voters been obliged to choose between two such widely despised candidates. Routine deceit by both candidates helped make post-truth the 2016 word of the year, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. And he says the 2020 race is also deluging voters with near-record levels of malarkey. Joe Biden denied referring to American soldiers as stupid bastards despite a video of his spiel. Denies that his son Hunter has done anything wrong despite the pesky laptop emails and exaggerated the COVID death toll a hundredfold. Trump has ludicrously portrayed his pandemic response as faultless, wildly exaggerates the economic achievements of his administration and perennially denies the damage inflicted here by his trade wars. The one certainty is that the 2020 election will not be won by an honest man. If a new president is elected next month, James Bovard says the media will insist that this time is different and that Americans can safely trust the White House again. But he says in reality, Election Day merely marks a brief intermission between campaigning lies and governing lies. Yet if Biden wins, Americans will be encouraged to pretend that election victories expunge the sins or at least the character defects of triumphant politicians. Winners supposedly deserve a honeymoon where people pretend they're trustworthy enough to enact new laws and launch ruinous new federal programs. Is your blood pressure, you know, spiking just a little bit? All right, hang with me because there's a little bit more to this commentary. I want to share it with you the other side of these messages. We'll be right back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I've been sharing an article from James Bovard. Actually, it's a commentary. Choose your liar. That's what he says the election amounts to. And again, this is not I'm, I don't share this with the intention of I, I want you to be so dejected that you don't even feel like you can vote. If, if your conscience tells you get out there and vote, then do it. But I think there's some truths that are really hard to face. And I think Bovard is actually addressing some truths that, while unpleasant, nonetheless, are true. And I think one of the central themes of what he's saying here is nothing happens after Election Day to make politicians less venal. 
He says presidents and members of Congress take oaths to uphold and defend the Constitution. But as former U.S. Senator Bob Kerry explained in 2013, the problem is the second your hand comes off the Bible, you become an a-hole. When elected officials scorn the Constitution, politics becomes little more than promising and pilfering. He says America is increasingly a garbage-in, garbage-out democracy. Politicians dupe citizens and then invoke diluted votes to sanctify and stretch their power. In the post-9-11 era, politicians treat Americans like medical orderlies treat Alzheimer's patients, telling them anything that will keep them subdued. It doesn't matter what untruths people are fed because they'll surely forget them. Lies subvert democracy by crippling citizens' ability to rein in government. As Willie Brown, the former mayor of San Francisco and mentor for vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris said, in politics, a lie unanswered becomes truth within 24 hours. Any lie accepted by a sufficient number of ignorant voters becomes a political truth. Then disregarding political lies paves the way for official crimes. As former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg declared, when we tolerate dishonesty, we get criminality. Well, if elected politicians can lie and cover up their actions, then how can any reasonable person not expect to be oppressed? Bovard says politicians assure assure that voters' apparent consent is irrevocable, regardless of how many lies permeated election campaigns. But there is no such thing as retroactive self-government. Belatedly exposing political lies does nothing to resurrect lost freedoms. He says deceiving voters is as much a violation of their rights as barring them from the polling booth. Only if we assume that people consent to being lied to can pervasive political lies be reconciled with democracy. And if people consent to deceit, elections become little more than patients choosing who will inject their sedatives. Wow, that is a powerful analogy. President Barack Obama, in his January 2017 farewell address, criticized Americans who blame the leaders we elect without examining our own role in electing them. By Obama's standard, the perpetual perfidy of the political class would justify condemning voters almost regardless of how they cast their ballots. Obama also condemned people who did not vote. Obama thereby created a no-win situation, except for the politicians. Obama, in his 2016 speech to the Democratic National Convention, also declared, We do not look to be ruled. Regardless of the irony of a heavy-handed ruler tossing out that line, it rings true for tens of millions of Americans who make their own liberty their supreme political value. Bovard says, In the short run, the political game is rigged so that winners capture far more power than many, if not most, Americans would willingly cede to them, and vastly more than the Constitution permits. But he says citizens can reduce the hazards they face by remembering that winning votes never redeemed a rascal. The winner of next month's presidential election will be a clear and present danger to Americans' rights and liberties, regardless of his margin of victory. Okay, now feel free to disagree. In fact, feel free to call me, 801-331-8113, and vigorously disagree. But I would ask you to consider before you, you know, say, that's just unfair. It's unfair. It's going to be different this time. You know, one of my great concerns is that if Trump wins re-election, I fear that we're going to get a repeat of what happened under George W. Bush, in which people who are constitutional conservatives, people who, who who embrace traditional American values are going to go back to sleep. Now, I'm not wishing for Biden to win, so don't read anything into what I'm saying there that, yeah, I I hope Biden wins so we can all wake up again. 
but I promise you that those on the political right are a lot more careful to safeguard their liberties when they have someone who is very actively coming at them from the left. When they believe that the person imposing statist policies is actually on their side, they tend to justify. They tend to be okay with it. It's a really curious oversight, and I I believe it's kind of a fatal blindness. Bottom line is, I can't think of a single election in my lifetime that has resulted in smaller government and greater freedom, regardless of who was elected. And that doesn't mean that some good people aren't, aren't occasionally put into office, but the system itself seems structured to protect its interests over ours, and that's why we have been moving incrementally but inexorably in one predictable direction, and it's away from liberty and toward the all-powerful state. Let's go to the phone. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Can you hear me, Brian? Yep, you're a little faint, but speak up. I just uh, got off my earbuds here. Now I can hear you better. Okay. So what do you think? uh, Well, I think I kind of, I have to disagree with you. You know, I, I think, and it's only going to be, a, something has to happen here where the American people got to figure out the president isn't the silver bullet. It's the people that are in Congress and senators and your legislators. You know, these these people that have been in office for 40 years or more. I mean, Trump never really actually was ever able to 100% perform you know how much their their objective was to just take as much time and cause as like you said earlier, cause as much chaos as they could, create all these diversions. How's a man supposed to do the job? I mean, for God's sakes, the only thing the guy wants to do is get all the jobs back here that were shipped overseas for the last four decades, and you know put people to work and get a good economy, and and make sure there's fair trade deals and we're not getting ripped off. Secure the border. I mean, you know, the, the Federal Reserve thing that Chris keeps talking about, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to be able to wean off the Federal Reserve and change our currency overnight. Uh, print print a coin to pay it off. Not going to happen. I think that would be completely, you know, devastating. You'd have, And nobody wants that. It's going to have to be done in increments. And unfortunately, it's never going to happen. Yeah, I don't see the political will to to do that. The the question that's on my mind, though, is, look, we put so much stock in, well, the president needs to do this and oversee that and manage this. And and I have to ask, are those really powers delegated to the executive branch in the Constitution? And and the same thing goes Uh, for Congress. I think there's a lot of stuff they take on that really isn't their power to exercise. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree with you. Um, but I think they're and tariffs. I mean, that's that's part of their that's part of their responsibilities in the uh, Constitution and commerce overseas. That's part of their responsibility in the Constitution. And those are things that you, you've got to have imports, exports. That sounds like a managed yeah. market, though. That doesn't sound like a free trade or a free or a free market. See, I'm, I have yeah. this. I may be wrong, but I, I think that the best thing government can do in most cases, unless there's force or fraud, is to just stay out of the way and let people make their own connections and and do it voluntarily. So you're saying no, no, there would be no um, scrutiny over what comes into our country. 
in the port. Sure, sure they would, but it doesn't necessarily have to be government that's doing it. No, but I mean, you're going to hire a private sector too, and you're not going to have you're going to have the same thing you're getting with probably government. How so? You're going to have corruption and things not being done in a format. Here's the difference, though, Rob. Here's the difference. The private sector has to deal with competition, meaning if somebody starts uh, doing it in a way that is self-serving and does not actually provide benefit for the people who are using these products, then they're going to go out of business because someone will come along and do it better. With government, you don't have that option. It's strictly a monopoly. Anyway, thanks for weighing in. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by Jeff Staples Real Estate. If you're listening to me within the great state of Utah, you know that there is a very hot real estate market right now. Jeff can tell you exactly how hot because he's got like 13 years experience in doing this. Bottom line is if you're shopping for a home, you want to get a home for the best possible price. Jeff can help you. He's with ERA Brokers Consolidated. If you are looking to sell a home, you want to get the most money out of your sale. Jeff can help you. Go to jeffstaplesrealtor.com, jeffstaplesrealtor.com. And, yeah, he'll take it from there. Welcome back to the show. Here's a couple of things that uh, that I, I'm just shaking my head in disbelief that it's actually come to this. I mean, look, I know that people are afraid about uh, COVID-19. And I, I've been shocked at, at the lengths to which various officials have been willing to go to, you know, impose their uh, their will upon the people, even when it's clear that the lockdowns, the mask mandates and so forth. You look at the, the number of infections, even with mask mandates and even stricter mask mandates and even stricter lockdowns. It doesn't make a difference. Those rates roughly mirror about the same as those places that didn't lock down or that didn't mandate that you have to mask or shut this down or stay socially distanced. But I guess that's one of the, the privileges of, of being in power. It means you never have to say that you're sorry. And now California has just said, look, I'm going to take this to a new level. And what they have decided to do is declare war on Thanksgiving with Kafka level regulations. This is an article from the Federalist.com. <sighs> you just thought the holidays were going to be finally a chance to have something to celebrate and, and a chance to, to do something uh, normal. Yes, again. Governor Gavin Newsom just gave Californians more regulations for an early Christmas present, and anyone hoping to celebrate the holidays with family better hope there's a gift receipt. Just in time for Thanksgiving and Christmas festivities, when most families gather with loved ones, California's Democrat governor has issued a new set of regulations that bans gatherings of more than three households. Additionally, no indoor gatherings are permitted, so don't plan on eating around the dining room table unless you lug it out into your backyard. Now, Newsom's ban on gatherings means that more than three households 
of more than three bans on gathering of more than three households means that a family with more than two grown children can only have two of them visit at a time. Now, according to the Pew Research Center, almost two-thirds of mothers in their young 40s in 1976 had three or more children. So if those mothers are grandmothers now and their children are grown, that means up to two-thirds of families would be banned from bringing all their kids under one roof for the holidays. Ashley Pollard lives in Orange County, California. Her family's gatherings for Thanksgiving and Christmas usually include several households coming from all over the state and beyond. She says, for most of my family, we look forward to the holidays as it is often the two times of year that we're able to see each other. But this year, that won't be able to happen. She says our holidays will be celebrated individually. Pollard said no cousins, aunts, or uncles. Now, Becca Helm is from Sanger, California, and her family's gatherings normally include about 25 people. This year, she expects they can only have less than half of that. The holidays are all about family, says Helm. If you try to enforce every single one of these rules, the focus turns from family to keeping the rules. And not only is California limiting the number of households that can come for Thanksgiving. uh, This is the part that I'm just like, really? The state also requires hosts to write down the names of all attendees for contact tracing. For families who want to celebrate the holidays with both sets of in-laws, participating in multiple gatherings with different households or groups is strongly discouraged. Now, there's a part of me that wants to ask, how far are they willing to take this to enforce this this directive? But having seen the harbor patrol out there chasing a lone paddleboarder out there off the beach, you know, all by himself and arrest him for not social distancing. It's pretty clear to me they'll enforce it as far as they can. When they were writing tickets to people sitting in their cars watching the sunset down at the beach. They'll take it as far as they can. By the way, California is also, in addition to limiting how much of your your family can gather, they're mandating that all your gatherings have to take place outside. No, it's California, so the weather's probably going to be nice, but that means families can't congregate in the kitchen to cook together, serve food in the kitchen, or even sit around the dining room table. By the way, I can tell you a rather unfortunate story of the year we had uh, Thanksgiving outside at my grandmother's house. It was lovely. We had picnic tables set up. It was unseasonably warm that Thanksgiving for uh, Rupert, Idaho. But I'll never forget, everything was set up. The, you know, food is on the table. They brought out the turkey, all beautiful and golden brown. And just as my aunt placed it in the middle of the table, a bird flew by and pooped on the turkey as it went by. (laughs) Yep, that was a Thanksgiving to remember. And apparently California, if you live near the beach, watch out for those seagulls. You're going to have some fun. Oh, and by the way, family members in California can leave your backyard. They can enter your house to use the restroom, but only if the restroom is frequently sanitized. Gee, I wonder which one of the family members is going to draw the short straw and have to do that. Now, unlike some states, California's winter climate isn't necessarily hostile to outdoor gatherings, but it can dip below freezing in November and December. Families who have a backyard can gather there. Families who live in condos or apartments, well, they're going to have to look elsewhere. One person said, we've been blessed with enough space to have it outside if that was what we wanted, but it probably isn't realistic for the average resident of California. And even outside, the regulations also mandate at least six feet of distance between members of different households at all times, including when family members are sitting. So good luck passing the Thanksgiving turkey down the table, much less having a conversation with the people seated around you. Speaking of Thanksgiving turkey... 
Newsom's regulations require that as much as possible, any food or beverages at outdoor gatherings must be in single-serve disposable containers. Oh, and also no serving your own plate. If food can't be served in single portions, then someone wearing a face covering must be out there to dole out servings. And attendees should also put their face masks back on as soon as they finish eating. And make sure to keep your gathering short. Even if it's been months since you've seen extended family, family, Newsom's rules stipulate gatherings should only be two hours or less. Oh, and finally, don't count on singing Christmas carols at any holiday parties this year. Singing is strongly discouraged. If you do sing, you must wear a face mask the entire time, and you're strongly encouraged to sing quietly and standing far apart from everyone else. And if these rules weren't severe enough, the regulations also give local health jurisdictions permission to enforce even stricter rules, which raises the question, how is this going to be enforced? Are neighbors going to be encouraged to rat each other out, as Mayor Bill de Blasio did, or is this just a political stunt with no real teeth? Some of Newsom's rules may be fine as recommendations or suggestions, and it might be wise for certain families with at-risk members to follow some of these precautions this year. But that should be a decision left to the families, not mandated by the state. This article is from Ellie L. Reynolds at The Federalist. I'll have it posted in the show notes. But I'll tell you, as I was reading through this, I, I had to double check a couple of times and make sure that I hadn't stumbled on the Babylon Bee at some point. Because these regulations seem so incredibly wrong and just arbitrary and silly. But they seem to be legit. I don't know. I'm thinking back to the 4th of July, and, and maybe you remember seeing the footage of this. You know, fireworks were strictly prohibited, as were gatherings of people on the 4th of July. After all, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Do you remember seeing some of the aerial shots of what uh, the L.A. basin looked like as uh, as aircraft you know, were flying over recording what was going on throughout L.A.? It was fireworks as far as the eye could see, continuously. And by the way, I saw that where I live in northern Utah. It, it was absolutely stunning, beautiful to see. It's almost like, maybe I'm projecting here, but almost like this little spirit of rebe- rebellion welled up inside people and they were like, Damn it, I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to gather with family and friends. And uh, lo and behold, I don't recall all of us dying right after the 4th of July, you know, a couple weeks later when we were all infected somehow with COVID. So there you have it. California declaring war on Thanksgiving. By the way, there's another article here uh, I'm going to include in the show notes. This is from uh, Reason Magazine, reason.com. Have you heard about the rapid home COVID-19 tests? They are the best path to a new normal, but they are illegal. What if you could do rapid at-home testing to keep track of whether or not you have been exposed? Well, apparently those in power don't want you to be able to do it outside of their official channels. I wonder why that is. And again, maybe I'm just projecting here, but it seems like they're very determined. They want to control the numbers. They want to control the information, the contact tracing, and so forth. Very curious. You can check it out at thebrianheidshow.com. Look for the show notes for October 22nd. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back just the other side of these messages.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to put in a kind word for one of my sponsors. That is uh, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. If you are in or around the Salt Lake City area, in fact, if you're going to be passing through Salt Lake City, I strongly encourage you to stop into Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, especially if you are trying to stretch your grocery buying dollars. In fact, I'm going to take it one step further. Let's say you're trying to stock up. I don't know. Maybe you have this crazy belief that uh, uh, maybe times of want could be ahead or things could get a little bit uh, difficult. Want to keep your freezer well stocked or stock up on other staples? Nikki's is the place to go. I'll tell you why. My friend Paul, who owns Nikki's, buys food from restaurant suppliers and, and food wholesalers and then passes the savings on to you. Now, it's amazing what you can get and the savings that you can get. And he takes EBT. He takes credit cards. But here's the kicker. Everything comes with a 100% money back, no questions asked, guarantee. Fresh produce. You can find cheeses. You can find soups, like bags of soup, frozen, that are, are just incredible. And with, you know, cold weather coming up just around the corner, might be something to think about. Also, he has a terrific selection of frozen meats. So if, like me, you like to throw something on the barbecue every so often, maybe you should stop in and check it out. Go to Facebook, Nikki's N-I-C-K-E-Y-S, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. You can find the directions there. All I ask is that when you hand them the money as you're making your purchase, please say, I came here because Brian was talking about you. Let him know that his advertising message reached your ears via this program. All right, to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate you taking my call. And just a little personal story here. I um, Last Friday, I felt a sore throat, and my whole body was aching. So I came home, and um, all the test places were closed, thank goodness. So I just um, drank some uh, Theraflu, slept for 24 hours, woke up, and I was fine. And that's fine now. Now, if I would have got tested with all the, what, 50% false positives, you know, I mean, it, it picks up not just the coronavirus, but, you know, not, you know, other coronaviruses and other viruses, then I would have been on a list, quarantined for two weeks, and, and my family and maybe the people at work or something. I'm so glad, you know, it was just a bug, and I slept it off, and I'm, I'm fine. I'm glad I didn't go through the panic. It would really upset my life for two weeks. Do you feel pretty confident that it was um, that it was coronavirus? Well, I don't know. You, you know, I had a sore throat. My body was achy, and and I, you know, I wish I could have got a test without turning it in and seeing if it tested positive because I'm fine now. You know, but what happened to all the other colds and viruses that we used to get? There, there's zero reporting on them you know I, i'm beginning to think that all the cults and viruses is being counted as corona 19 i i, I don't know how it works I, i've got to ask um some uh chemists some professionals some people to know you know if the the test kit does pick up you know colds and flu and other stuff yeah, I I couldn't tell you. I'm glad you you came through it okay. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I would have woke up and felt worse, I would have gone in. You know, but I'm glad that they're closed in the you know, open in the morning and afternoon and closed in the afternoon and evening. So, got up in the morning and I was fine. Otherwise, I would have went in, you know, just to make sure. But it was just a regular, I've had, you know, regular old cold flu bug, whatever. And I know the feeling, and that's all it was. I wish there was some way I could have found out if it would have tested positive, you know, for corona. Because I, I found out there's other kinds of corona. Oh, yeah. I believe the common cold is actually a coronavirus, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I understand, too. Yeah. So I really think it would have came out positive, and I would have go through the whole thing. And I'm sure glad I didn't, because, you know, now my life is going on. I'm glad to hear it. Ray, thank you so much for your call. 801-331-8113. There's an article here from the Mises Institute. This is Mises.org. I want to share an excerpt of two or, or two from this because, uh, look, I'm going to confess, I, there's not a lot of Hollywood that I appreciate. But as far as actors go, I'll admit I have a soft spot in my heart for Chris Pratt. I think that uh, he's one of the funniest actors that I've seen. I've enjoyed the, you know, the movies like the Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it was uh, Jurassic Park, Lost World. I really love him as Andy Dwyer on uh, Parks and Recreation. The guy is absolutely hilarious. And this, you know, maybe he's just really good at turning it on for the camera. But even when he is not in character or when he's not, you know, on the set, he appears to be a genuinely down to earth guy. And I say this based on, you know, some of the like graduation speeches he's given or just, you know, pep talks that I've I've seen him give to audiences of young people. I think, man, that's that's a guy who seems to have it together. Well, Chris Pratt finds himself a target of left Hollywood and social media enforcers now because of his apparent lack of support for Joe Biden. Apparently, that's a sin in his industry. Jeff Deist writing about this says Pratt has endorsed neither Biden nor Trump which seems eminently sensible for a boy-next-door type who plays superheroes and adventurers in big blockbusters. But staying quiet is never enough for the political jackals, who insist silence is violence and it's a form of privilege. Trump is a Nazi. His electorate is full of hateful fascist enablers. This is no time for quietude. And to make matters worse, the uh, reticent Pratt also belongs to a Christian church, which is, quote, anti-LGBT. Which is not to say, which is to say, not anti-LGBT at all, but simply not in full conformity with the language and demands of its accusers. In other words, it's one of those rare churches where there are still concepts of some things are right and some things are wrong. Imagine that. Well, when his actor friend and sometime co-star Mark Ruffalo rushed to defend Pratt's character, the Twitterati reacted angrily but predictably saying his church is anti-LGBTQ. That is, that is extremely political at a time when people's rights and freedoms and very lives are at stake. That's how I see him living his life. And this person went on to say, you, Mark, are in a position where you can talk to your friend about how his actions and inaction are harmful to people without the societal protections, platform, and wealth that you two are lucky to have. I hope you will. Someone else responded, he goes to a church that harms LGBT, LGBTQ plus people and defends that. This isn't it, Mark. Maybe stand up for your fans and be an ally while supporting your friend by helping him evolve. Telling hurt people they are wrong isn't helpful. <laughs> In other words, we cannot be wrong because our feelings are hurt. 
Another, Mark, while you have the privilege of his political choice not affecting you, the vote he casts for any GOP in this era is harming marginalized and at-risk communities. If he's okay casting a vote for someone who separated families and put kids in cages, he is not solid. Another person, it must be nice to be able to not be overtly political. And one more chimed in. Political apathy is a luxury of the privileged. Now, Jeff Deist points out, this is a classic case of the imposers positioning themselves as the imposed upon. LGBTQ advocates weaponize and contort simple words, hurt, harm, apathy, privilege, marginalized, vulnerable, in ways reminiscent of Orwell's politics in the English language. In other words, they use words in consciously dishonest ways. They shift the parameters of what it means to support or oppose LGBT causes into a stark binary. You are for us or against us. Simply living one's life peaceably is not an option in this bizarre worldview. And in the imposer's unconditional terms, they change constantly, seemingly overnight. One cannot avoid conflict by being not overtly political, as Raffalo termed Pratt. The accusations against his church, for example, amount to nothing more than a demand for unconditional surrender of any theology or doctrine which does not comport with today's instant, though far from universal, view of transgenderism. Unless and until this happens, his church is per se transphobic and evil. Indifference or even kind and loving disagreement cannot satisfy the imposers. It doesn't matter whether Pratt's church welcomes everyone, even those individuals it considers engaged in sin, which, by the way, includes just about every person on earth. It doesn't matter whether Pratt is a good person or friend to his fellow actors. His church must affirmatively endorse the view of LGBT activists. Pratt must actively endorse Biden. Anything else is weaponized privilege. Now, of course, Jeff Deese says this is nonsense, but the imposers always claim to be the imposed upon. Media and politicians play along, and then social media voices join the chorus until the original reality becomes completely obscured. Both Chris Pratt and his church were minding their own business and not hurting anyone. The Biden and LGBT activists rather came looking for them, not the other way around. It's a pretty powerful uh, little piece. I would encourage you, take a look at it. See what you think. I think you may find some great food for thought. This is The Brian Hyde Show.